Welcome to Innovating Education, a podcast brought to you by the Brock Leadership Lab for Innovation, located at Oklahoma State University, Tulsa. We introduce you to leading changemakers whose innovative ideas are shaping the rapidly evolving educational landscape. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Ed Harris and Dr. Gentry Olson. Hello, my name is Gentry Olson. I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Ed Harris. Ed, say hi. Ed Harris. Ed Harris, this is me. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Yeah, and we're here today with Will Parker. We have a distinguished guest. We're excited about today's episode. Will has a litany of, of amazing qualifications that, that we could go into. He's currently serving as the executive director of the Oklahoma Association of Secondary School Principals. He's won the Oklahoma System Principal of the Year Award. He's really married practice with with now working in more administration roles and also serving the state of Oklahoma so well during this time. And we're excited to dive into learning more about him. On top of that, he has probably the most successful podcast in Oklahoma in education. And we're really excited about learning more about that. Well, Gentry, we're proud to be number two right behind. (laughs) That's right. That's right. (laughs) That's right. Well, Will, thank you so much for being with us today. Tell us a bit about your story. Where did you grow up, go to school? You know, how did you become interested in education? Well, first of all, Gentry and Ed, thank you guys for the opportunity to meet with you and talk to your listeners. I'm now the host of of the former most popular education podcast because now you guys are on the scene. And so I'm so excited that you guys are pulling together and having conversations about innovation and education. You know, just a little bit about my background. I grew up in Northwest Tennessee. My dad was in and out of the military in the Navy. So we also moved. So my life started in California. My growing up years were in West Tennessee. We lived in New York and Virginia. I came to school in Oklahoma in 1988. And stayed after I graduated with a degree in English education and started teaching in Broken Arrow and was a high school language arts teacher, creative writing teacher, advanced placement teacher, advanced language arts. And then in 2004, I became a school administrator in Bixby as a high school assistant principal. And then I had an opportunity to move to Skyatook High School, which is just north of Tulsa, and uh, served as an assistant there until I became the principal of that school. My two oldest daughters graduated from that school, and then in 2017, I had the opportunity to transition to working with COSA with the Association of Oklahoma Association of Secondary School Principals and Oklahoma's Middle Level Education Association, just serving school leaders across the state of Oklahoma, which is how I've connected with you guys. So that's the sh- very short version of, of my background and my professional career. A short, a short version uh-huh. of a long career. You've been in education for almost 30 years. So how have you seen education change in that time? Yeah, well, that's such a great question. You know, when I stepped into education as a young teacher, it was at the advent of using computer-based writing systems. I remember we had a, a lab at the high school where I was, and we were really fortunate because it was a place where you could go and and students could type in essays, and then they would push a button, and it would give them back a screen with a printout of how they could analyze their sentences to see if they, how many compound sentences or complex sentences or how advanced their writing was. And we had to take those by paper and mark them and, and wow. get a sense of, 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 of how they were writing and then encourage them to go back and try again. And we felt so like advanced that we had this really cool computer lab that could do this because 
this was before laptops. This was before, you know, iPads. This was before we had the opportunity for kids to have devices in their hands all the time. But you know what is interesting as my career evolved and as students evolved and as I continued in teaching, what I discovered about students then is what I still see is true today. And that is that engagement Mm -hmm. and relationships and relevance still connect students to learning. And really, you know, it's so interesting because when you think about the word innovation, you're thinking about how can you continuously discover ways to help kids connect learning Mm -hmm. to, to passions and understanding and aha moments. And that can be done with or without technology. And so even though I've seen a lot of changes in technology and delivery and curriculum over the years, what I haven't seen changed is the ability for those strong relationships and engagements to capture students and pull them into conversations and help them discover learning. So those are the things that encourage me is because that's something that can be done with or without technology in a small school, in a large school, at any grade level. Uh, It's that engagement that really, I think, sets strong teachers apart from others. Yeah, that's interesting, Will. The, the, The thing that I take away from that is that some things haven't changed. The importance of engagement, the importance of how students learn, the importance of relationships, the importance of the relevance of the subject matter, that sort of remains constant. But what what has changed is the way we do that mm-hmm. in, in the medium media through which we do that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so very interesting. Yeah, I've heard innovation, you know, kind of defined as doing everyday ordinary things differently. And, you know, I always use the metaphor of the light bulb. And at the end of the day, lighting from candles to now LED bulbs, we've seen a lot of innovation along the way. However, Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, the function has remained the same. Still light. To bring light light to a space, to light up the room. And and so I hear you talking about innovation and and yet at the same, same time, the engagement piece has always been in relationships has been at the fore. Yeah. And so I think you have to think about technology, for instance, as a tool to leverage that engagement. If you think of it as the end, mm. then you've lost its purpose. The, the end of, a, of a good technology, good applications, good software, whatever it is that you have your, your, you have access to, it's a means to an ends. And the ends should be the engagement that you want to be able to enhance learning from in a school-wide perspective, and especially from the perspective of, of a school leader, which is where I served for so long too, how can a how can a school leader learn to to use those tools to engage their teachers and their students and their communities? And so that's that's where I think we have to we have to stay connected to the idea that as as things are changing, how do we use those changes to our advantage? and not miss out on an opportunity to, to, to leverage them to, to highlight and promote the great things that are happening in our schools. Yeah, definitely. That's really, that's really, really interesting. So you currently are serving in a, you know, a leadership role for our state, the executive director of the Oklahoma secondary Oklahoma association for secondary school principals. And then also you kind of serving the leader, the executive director of middle level leaders for schools mm-hmm. as well. You know, this is a unique position. Tell us a bit more about, you know, OA, 
SSP. I'm going to work work on the and the analogies here. Or, yeah, we're going to add some new acronyms to our O M L E P O M L E A, and then you know this is all under the umbrella of COSA C C O S A. Okay, so you right? not have one thing that has not changed in education is acronyms. Yes, that has remained constant. So relevance relationships and acronyms. You guys are so funny. Break um, down w- the acronyms, Will. Yeah, the first, time, the first time my wife attended one of our association conferences was when I was still a principal and I was receiving the award as an assistant principal of the year. And she heard all these acronyms and afterwards she was just like, why don't you guys just say LMNOP? There's so many acronyms. <laughs> I can't even follow what's going on. But OASSP is a, is a membership organization. So I don't work for the state of Oklahoma. I work for principal and administrator and aspiring leader members who want to be a part of a professional association that is helping them to grow in best practice, um, but is also collaborating around advocacy work on behalf of public schools. The COSA umbrella has approximately 2,700 members across Oklahoma that represent superintendents and principals and directors and central office administrators and aspiring leaders. The association that I lead with OASSP represents 800 secondary principals across the state. So it's a wonderful group of people because all of the members that I get to work with are in suburban and urban and rural settings. So when I travel before COVID, I was putting about 30,000 miles a year on my car just across the state of Oklahoma because I had the opportunity to go visit different regions and different schools and pull people together in meetings across the state. So we could just talk and share and brainstorm ideas together and and find out what's happening in one school that might help another school be more successful. So it's work that I love. And now that we've been able to connect more virtually with, with COVID, a lot of the conversations that we've been having are like what we're doing right now, where we pull together in Zoom meetings and conversations where we can collaborate virtually, but seeing people in person is still such a joy. So we host trainings throughout the year. We do a new Principals Academy every year. This year, we have 60 principals that we're training elementary and secondary. My colleague, Glenn Absher, who leads the Elementary Association, and I partner together on that work. We started a, a, a new program this year called Principal Coaching, which is where we work with veteran leaders to teach them how to mentor and coach younger leaders. And that's just been such a joy. And right now, we're working on a pilot program that we're hoping to push out in 2223, which is a Principal Institute Academy, which would be a year-long program for both veteran, exceptional leaders, and growing leaders to try to connect them together in cohorts for growth in the in the work that they're doing. So and then every June we host COSA hosts its largest conference in Oklahoma City. We have about a thousand of our members that will come in for that every year um, where we just highlight great PD, good speakers, updates on advocacy and, and and legislation to keep our members informed. So, Will, one thing. So, COSA is the umbrella organization. And what, mm-hmm. does co- what, is, what does the acronym COSA stand for? So, the acronym COSA stands for the Cooperative Council for Oklahoma School Administration. And I was telling Gentry pre-show that since about 1973, COSA has existed years ago. Ed, you may know this history too, but when the Oklahoma Education Association first existed, it was an umbrella for all educators. But in the early 70s, they made a decision that only officers 
could be represented by teachers. Mm. And so administrators decided at that time, well, we would like to have an association where our voice could be heard from a position mm-hmm. of, of, of an officer too, because mm-hmm. we're doing advocacy work for schools. And so that's when COSA began its work mm-hmm. to try to represent uh, school mm-hmm. leaders positions and uh, to be able to advocate on parts of their districts and in right. the, in, in, in the, on the perspectives of principals and superintendents. The old no taxation without representation. <laughs> Well, we have a great relationship with OEA today, and with and with we we try to have a good relationship with all associations that represent educators because we're all really rowing in, in the same direction, which is why we love the partnership that we have with OSU and OSU yes. Tulsa. Yes, no, oh, yeah. and we're thankful for that. And we're really thankful for the work you do in Oklahoma. Seriously, we're we're we know it's really important work, and so thank you for for your time. So, so our goal will, you know, a lot of the innovation usually happens on the, the East Coast. And so our goal is to make Oklahoma the innovative hub of the galaxy. And so you're helping us do that. Well, East Coast folks just need to come to Tulsa. They do. Because they there's do. a lot happening This is, right this here. is where it is yeah. happening in, in all Well, areas. in Oklahoma so. City. And I'll give it because I represent all of the state. That's the, that's the, that's the thing that I that I'm most encouraged by is actually visiting and Mm. walking through schools because there are so many, and let me give you an example. Jeremy Jackson is a principal in Warner, Oklahoma, which is in the North, well, kind of the, the the Eastern part of the state. And and I was walking through his school a few years ago and he stepped into a room that he had designed himself with his with his own hands and the hands of other teachers they had acquired a little bit of funding and he wanted he wanted a pd room a classroom for his teachers different than a library or mm-hmm. different than just a classroom and so he had actually built a media room for them with risers so that there could be levels of seating an entire wall that was a screen where he had installed his projector so that he could bring them in as a staff and if they wanted to host a Zoom conversation with a guest speaker, if they wanted to have a a TED talk, if they wanted to have some kind of of innovative viewing that they could do, that he could do it in a setting where he felt like they were getting the best experience that they could as teachers to inspire them with great conversations to go out into their school and then engage their kids. And of course, they could bring kids into that room too and use it as a media room for, for kids and teaching as well. And I just stood there thinking, yes, this is exactly what innovation is you've got someone who takes the resources that they have and the place that they're that they're given in a very rural community who's created something that is exceptional in delivering quality for his teachers and his students and so the more you spend time in schools and you see the ways that people are engaging their learners and the creative things that they're doing the more inspired that I get yeah, I agree. Well, the, in, in Oklahoma is where it's happening and through your work and through your podcast, you're showcasing that. And that's what we want to do too. And your own work, you were known for innovation, for collaboration. And as a principal of a title one school, you were, you were known for, for many things. So tell us a little bit how the changes or how you experienced the innovation in education? Yeah. Well, thanks for asking that question. I'm really proud of the work that I was able to be a part of in the schools where I served in in Broken Arrow and in Bixby and eventually in Skytook. And one of the, I think the legacy that I enjoyed the most at Skytook being a part of that system was being able to be in a place long enough to 
be a part of what I call growing a learning community. There's a difference between running a school and growing a learning community. And the difference is trying to step into your work with the mindset of how can I help create the kind of place that I want my own children to flourish. Mm. And so, you know, I started my work there as an assistant principal. And then later when I became the high school principal, by the time I was finishing my work there, I would say probably three-fourths of the, of the staff and faculty in that building were people that I had had a hand in hiring or recruiting and hopefully helping to grow in the work that they did. And as you are building a school community, obviously you're trying to attract people who share the same values for what they want to see students learning. And, and by values, I don't mean you to attract this, this people who are the same as you. You're, you're trying to pull people in whose skills complement or add to the value of what you want to see your teachers delivering to students. And so it's hard for me to point to like one specific innovative practice that happened in that school, because what I would say is it was more of a combination of, of attracting high quality people who are committed to engaging learning with students who in trying to create a place where students felt welcomed and families felt like they were not visitors in our buildings but they were part of the family as well. And in trying to create places where students were proud to be a part of the school community that they were in. And then as a school leader, seeing that my role was not just to provide supports and resources uh, for my teachers and for my students, but also to highlight what they were doing successfully in order to inspire and accelerate that work for our community. And it's one of the reasons that I started writing and blogging. And eventually I've, you know, done three books now on school leadership. And the second book I wrote while I was finishing my work at SkyTook is called Messaging Matters. And and the whole impetus of that book was trying to share ideas with other educators on ways that they needed to be highlighting and promoting the great work happening in their schools. Because if we're not celebrating the great work happening within our public schools specifically, Mm -hmm. then asking for ongoing funding and asking for ongoing investments in our schools is, it sounds hollow unless you're also celebrating the outcomes. And Mm. I just think it's, I just think it's the responsibility and the privilege of leaders, especially education leaders to be every single day walking around with a mindset of, where am I seeing learning happening? How am I capturing this moment? And then how am I celebrating it back out with my community, within my school and outside my school? And so, so Ed, I appreciate that question. And I think part of the reason that we saw improvements in our scores and, and, and growth among our students was because of a, a collaborative community that grew together over the years with those same goals and values. One of the things that you said was the importance of celebrating achievement, not only just doing things and being out there, which is also a symbolic aspect of building culture, but the importance of celebrating, of having those activities that really showcase what the school and what the values are about. Those are key. Those are, those are key ways to build a culture of a school. It's classic. It's putting a lot of uh, things that we learn in, in the textbooks right into practice, what you're doing. So to build a culture, you just the listeners just got a really good practical example of how to do that. Yeah, and I, I love to that point, too. You know, you spoke to not being able to always pinpoint one innovative practice, but really what you just described was an innovative ethos, a way of thinking. You said, and I'm going to repeat this for our listeners, 
I focus not on running a school, but growing a learning community. That in and of itself is an innovative approach to thinking, right? Mm -hmm. We get so bogged down in the work of leadership that I've got to run this school. I've got to do X, Y, and Z. But when you really focus on the bigger picture of just growing this learning community, that's where the change happens organically. And you elicit so much more response from the community, from teachers, from everybody to really play their part. Yeah. And there's a million ways you could flesh that out. Let me just give you one example. You know, how are you communicating to your students and communities every day? Mm -hmm. You know, if my goal as an education leader is to get on the PA system just to remind students how to behave or just to make school announcements about lunch menus, then I'm missing an opportunity every single day to remind them of why you're here, what great things are happening, the celebrations of students and teachers among you who are doing great things. And by the way, here's what we're having for lunch today. And so, <laughs> and so you, you have to be able to combine every single moment, whether it's standing in the cafeteria or at the bus line or talking to kids at lunchtime or sitting in classrooms or supervising games, whatever it is that your role and responsibility is, how do you combine that with the mission of fostering that this is a place where we're learning and then highlighting those moments and, and keeping that as the forefront of the purpose of, of, of why we do school. Yeah. And you talk about communicating a message. This is a perfect segue to your podcast. So you've been, you've, you found an expert way of communicating a message, not just for Oklahoma. I know I referenced earlier the number one education podcast in Oklahoma, but you are reaching far beyond the borders of this state and really a national podcast. Uh, your podcast, Principal Matters, has been really very successful. You've recorded, I think today, if I looked from my math, 273 episodes and maybe working on the next one as is. You know, we're beginning here. We're a bit novice podcasters, but we'd love to hear more about your experience in starting Principal Matters and how that's grown. Yes. And Gentry, we're, we're, number two and <laughs> we're number two and we try harder. So yes. we're, we want to hear what Will has to say. Well, you guys have already, if, if listeners could see the setup that you both have with this great video setup and the awesome mics that you guys, you're, you're way beyond where I was when I, when I began. No, but I started blogging uh, in 2012 after I had been named an Oklahoma assistant principal of the year because I, I had always enjoyed writing. And after I had left teaching, I really, had an itch to figure out how to, how can I combine that love that I have for writing with this new work I'm doing in school leadership. And so I decided I'm going to start a weekly blog and just write about something I'm learning in leadership, share it out with, with other principal friends that I have. And so that was my first foray into just communication. And I did that for a couple of years of just every single week, writing out 500 words or a thousand words, just something I could share each week. And at the end of a couple of years, I began to really enjoy listening to, to podcasts, which mm -hmm. at that time was just a, a burgeoning market. And so I um, had the idea of, well, maybe I could take a lot of the content I'm doing from my blog and do an audio version of that. And so I started originally just going to a recorder, taking my my previous blog posts and then just resharing them mm -hmm. in audio form so that I could share that. And that began a whole nother audience because I found that some people like to read content and other people like to listen to content. And so over the years, my um, podcast audience has actually outgrown my blogging audience. And all of those experiences though, because I was creating so much content led to the opportunities to do some books. So my first book, Principal Matters, came out in 20. 15 then and I did actually use a self-publishing arm through Amazon to work on that first book and then because of that I had 
a couple of publishing groups that reached out to me to ask about a second book. And so I entered a partnership with Solution Tree Press and we did messaging matters together. And then in 2020, another group, Connect Ed Publishing, which is a, a newer publishing arm that's led by Jeffrey Zoll and Jimmy Casas, reached out to me to do a third book that I just published last year called Pause, Breathe, Flourish, Living Your Best Life as an Educator, because uh, wow. that, that was a book that I did just on really on educator self-care. And so Um, timely, right? Yeah. So each of those, you know, the blogging led to the podcasting, led to the writing, which has also led to opportunities for me to to do trainings and and, and to connect with leaders outside of Oklahoma. Awesome. We love that. So you've referenced a bit how the scope of the work really changed over time. You know, what would you say has been one of the number one things you've learned? You, you talk with all of these incredible people. I mean, you have to glean things for yourself. Yeah. Well, I think the thing that's been the most encouraging to me is being able to have conversations with people. And you referenced this earlier, Ed, being able to see how theory works in practice. Mm-hmm. You know, because we talk a lot in those of us that service school leaders or that train school leaders, obviously we want to connect them to, you know, peer researched, important you know, I, I just up on my desktop right now, I have pulled up the you know professional standards for education leaders that all of the national associations reference in, in research about what makes a great school leader. And, and, and I like to reference that material because it's helpful for me in the work that I do. But when I'm interviewing leaders, what's really exciting is in educators in general is to be able to see all of those things that good research says makes education mm-hmm. successful to see it in practice. So as I'm talking to someone, I might actually just be able to, 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 as they're speaking, I'm thinking, wow, this is such a great example of someone who understands mission and vision and core values, or, whoa, this is a person that really understands how to facilitate teacher growth and and staff morale, or this is a person who's like incredibly good at organizational leadership. And so this Mm -hmm. is somebody that I can tap into who understands school operations and how to really schedule or really understands a master schedule. And so the, the, the joy of being able to connect with other leaders and interview people on my podcast has just been the ability to connect practice with practitioners and and just to have a, a menu of people that when someone asks me, if someone has a challenge, for instance, it's something they're dealing with in their school. Usually I know somebody who has an answer. You know, I've talked to somebody who's doing that practice in their school in a really healthy way. Your experts directory has gotten quite large. Yeah. It's, it's exciting because, you know, no one's, no one will has or ever will perfect the work as an educator or, or, or in my case, an education leadership. But I always like to say that the smartest person in a room is the room. And mm-hmm. so the more people you can pull into conversations, the more you're going to find answers to the problems you're having, which is why I appreciate the work you guys are also doing with your, with your OSU ECHO pro- projects. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that you're pulling leaders together uh, with TeleEd and TeleSped and TeleLead and all of the uh, initiatives that you guys have spearheaded through OSU Tulsa, you're harnessing the power of the, of the room. Wow, that's really good. You dropped so many good nuggets for our listeners today. We appreciate your gold. So... What are, what are some of the things you're working on right now, Will? Ed, I think the thing that I'm most excited about is some of the work that we're doing at COSA with a principal academy or a principal institute. We haven't really landed on the name yet, but we have been, Glenn Absher, my colleague at the Elementary Association, Dr. Pam Deering, who's our executive director for COSA and I, 
have been collaborating throughout all of this school year, just dreaming about how can we enhance the kind of professional learning that's available for Oklahoma leaders in an ongoing way. And how can we, because we do a lot of work with, with newer leaders, and then sometimes we can work with veteran leaders, but how can we marry those two groups together in a way where you have exceptional leaders who can connect with growing leaders in ongoing professional development, connecting mm-hmm. them to these best practices and pulling in practitioners who really know the work and who can really speak to the to the experiences that leaders are having. So right now we, we've been working on a, a framework that we're hoping to push out in 22-23 where we can do some summertime uh, professional learning together, but then have ongoing connections throughout the year for these cadres of, of leaders that just can enhance the work that school leaders are doing. So thank you for asking that because that's something we're really excited about. I'm sure there will be a very innovative acronym that would accompany <laughs> these things. <laughs> well, you guys, well, maybe we can put up a poll and see who wants to. Yeah. Oh, that, yeah. that's a good give idea. Us, give us the name. Uh, well, actually, your wife seems to have a handle on that. Maybe uh, <laughs> she can. T- <laughs> you know, you referenced your third book that you, when did you say that that came out? Well, 2020. 2020. So it, it, the title of the book, for, for those of you who didn't catch it, was Pause, Breathe, Flourish, Living Your Best Life as an Educator. Now, you were writing that probably before the pandemic even hit. So yeah. before we had an idea of what was even to come into existence, how timely was that? And, and what is that response? Yeah. Been? Oh, my gosh. It, it's almost surreal to think back. I started writing that book in 2017 when I was mm. stepping into this role, because one of the consistent conversations I was having with educators was, I love this work. This is what I want to do. But how do I do it without burning out? How, mm-hmm. how can I do this and still feel like I have a life-work balance? As I was finding myself answering that question in conversations, I decided I need to write a series of posts about this. And so I, I made a goal in 2017 to write at least 10 posts about what I considered the 10 categories of ongoing growth. And those include a lot of things, and I won't be able to name all 10 of them, but they include your, how are you caring for your body? How are you caring for your mind? How are you, how are you taking care of your resources? How are you nurturing your mindset? How are you investing in your friendships? How are you investing in your most intimate relationships? How are you making sure that you are mentoring future leaders? And what legacy are you leaving in the work that you're doing? And, and, you know, I think this was probably in my dreams, the kind of book that I would hope my kids would pick up someday, Mm -hmm. because I wanted to make sure that I was saying something that I believed would work for educators, but also just works for people in life in general. And so when I finished that book, I sent it out for reviews um, among my peers and other yeah. people that I had met in school leadership. And, and that's when uh, my friends, Jimmy Casas and Jeff Zuhl, who had started a publishing arm, Connect Ed Publishing, reached out to me. And, and they, they loved the book. And they actually asked me if I would consider not just working with them on the book, but they asked me if I would rewrite the book Wow! from the perspective, because when I had written it originally, it was specifically written for conversations with school leaders. And they said, well, this isn't a book for school leaders. This is a school for educators. Would you be willing to rewrite this book for educators? Because you've been a teacher and a principal and you know, these things resonate with everyone that's in education. And that was, it was a challenge for me to go back again and write the book from that perspective. But I'm so glad I did because I've been able to connect this work now, not just with education leaders, but with their teachers and with, with 
entire faculties. Last semester, I had the chance to go to, to Louisville and do a, a, an opening ceremony for a school district there. And so, you know, because this is this, these are the kinds of conversations that all of us need to be having if we're going to mm-hmm. stay in this, if we're going to stay in this work long term, is how do we care for ourselves so that we can continue to care for others? That's great, Will. And also for our listeners, we've we mentioned a lot of things today, anywhere from COSA to all the acronyms, all the other uh, acronyms and all the books. And in our show notes, we will have links to and the blogs and we'll have links to all those things to where you can access those and yes. and be a part of the dialogue, the important dialogue that's going on. Will, you have a lot, lot to share. And if you could share if you could narrow it down to one, which may be hard to do, one message you'd like to share with educators today in our audience, what would that be? Oh, I love that question. This is going to sound, I'm not sure how this is going to come across, but I'm just going to speak from my heart. If I had one message to deliver to educators as you were wrapping up this conversation, and for those of you that stayed with us till the end, thank you. I would say this, give yourself permission to love your students. Mm. I think sometimes wow. in the work that we do, we get really focused on our content or we get really focused on our delivery or we get really focused on our schedules or we get really focused on follow through. And those things are all so important. But at the end of the day, the heart that you have for the people that you're serving is going to be what motivates you to have good content and good delivery and good organizations and good schedules and good schools. And so I I think as a young educator, I tried really hard to balance myself, to not smile till Christmas and to, mm-hmm. you know, make sure I had really strong classroom management so my students respected me, et cetera. And what I discovered over time was that those things you can master after a while because it's a learned skill. But what students need from you more than anything is to know that you care about them, that you believe in them, that you're invested in them, and that you have their best interest in mind because that's what's changed my life. Those mm-hmm. are the educators who changed my life. And they're the educators who changed your life. And they're the ones who inspired us to become educators. And so any educator who's listening to this or an aspiring educator or an aspiring leader, give yourself permission to love your students. Give yourself permission to be, to, to connect that passion with the content and with the curriculum and with the work that you're doing, because at the end of the day, that's what matters most. It's, it's like the old adage, they will remember who you are long after they remember what you say. That's right. And, yeah. and they'll remember also to, to add to that is, is they will know how you feel about them long after they forget what you say. So yeah. very good. Those things are excellent, Will. We, we thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, obviously, with all the things that you are doing, that our listeners know you're a busy person and you've taken time out to be with us. We really appreciate it. Yes, thank you thank guys. You. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I've enjoyed it and I appreciate both of you. Hope you have a great day. You too. Thanks, right. Will. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Innovating Education. Visit the Brock Leadership Lab website to learn more about our creative work focused on cultivating and sharing education's best ideas. Links to our website and any reference materials in this episode can be found in the show notes. 